0: All right, if you have a Bible, open to the Gospel of Mark. We continue our series there. We're in chapter 12. If you have a Red Pew Bible, we'll be on page 848. And the actual text is Mark 12, 18 through 27. And it begins like this. And Sadducees came to him who say that there is no resurrection. And they asked them a question, saying, Teacher, Moses wrote for us that if a man's brother dies and leaves a wife but leaves no child, the man must take the widow and raise up offspring for his brother. There were seven brothers. The first took a wife, and when he died, left no offspring. And the second took her and died, leaving no offspring, and the third likewise. And the seven left no offspring. Last of all, the woman also died. In the resurrection, when they rise again, whose wife will she be? For the seven had her as a wife. And Jesus said to them, Is this not the reason you are wrong? Because you know neither the scriptures nor the power of God. For when they rise from the dead, they neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are like angels in heaven. For as, the, <coughs> for, as, and as for the dead being raised, have you not read in the book of Moses, in the passage about the bush, how God spoke to him, saying, I am the God of Abraham. And the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob. He is not God of the dead, but of the living. You are quite wrong. The word of the Lord.
1: I love how that uh, passage ended. Let's pray. Lord, we ask that you would open your word to us, that we would hear from you this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. We live in a society that uh, values people's opinions even when they are wrong. And it's so refreshing to hear Jesus say, you are quite wrong. And, you know, verse 27, that's just fire, you know, that's just great. And Jesus Jesus doesn't say, you know what, I, I can... I can see where you're getting your opinions from, and, and you're a little off. But he, he doesn't say that. He says, you're quite wrong, meaning you are really wrong. right? Like, you, you're way off. You're, you're entirely wrong. Various uh, religious and political groups, they've been trying to discredit Jesus for a while now in, in the Gospel of Mark. Back in chapter 11, uh, it was the chief priests, the scribes, and the elders who came and challenged Jesus with a question about uh, authority. And after that, in chapter 12, it was the Pharisees and the Herodians who attempted to trap Jesus with that taxation question. And this time, it's the Sadducees who want to uh, give a try to Jesus to see what they can do with him. And all of these groups, they were all very well-educated groups who... were kind of conspiring with one another to stump Jesus, but it's not going as they plan. Um, And when they look at Jesus, they look at a guy who did not go to the best schools or who did not come from this large, renowned city, and they had problems understanding how Jesus, who came from this family of ill repute, whose father was just a carpenter, and he was educated in these third rate schools who grew up in this insignificant town, could rise up to such prominence and such influence. He wasn't a chief priest, scribe, elder, Pharisee, or Sadducee. He was relatively a nobody in their eyes, yet, he, he captured the hearts of so many people that they didn't and they couldn't. And it was just a really astonishing thing that this man with no political allies, with, with no religious allies, could have this much power and this much influence as to what was going on. They weren't just jealous of Jesus. They were envious of Jesus. They wanted what he had. And numerous groups couldn't discredit Jesus before and so here the Sadducees are who thought that they could. And so they give it a try. So who were the Sadducees? The Sadducees were this priestly aristocracy. And they were of the rich land-owning patrician families. So, so they were these members of the highest social class. They were a, a wealthy group of people. They were the religious nobility of the time. They were the leading families of Jerusalem society. So if the Jew, Jewish paparazzi were going around, they'd uh, stop right in front of them and draw their pictures out really quick and things like that. So these, these were the movers and the shakers of high society, right? These are the, the upper class of society, And so very, very influential in terms of uh, socially and politically. And you can imagine the arrogance that followed them, not just socially, but also politically and religiously. Now, doctrinally and theologically speaking, they were actually rather a conservative group uh, within Judaism. They rejected some of the Pharisees' theology, including refuting the resurrection And they believed that the resurrection was just this really, really dangerous idea to embrace. And they saw evidence of this danger when the revolutionary revolts were happening in the 2nd century B.C. That this idea of resurrection actually was, was working against them. Because they had this political influence back then, but they started seeing that it was waning, that it was weakening. And during this revolt, Jewish, uh, Jewish folks believed that, you know, as, as martyrs, we, if, if this resurrection is indeed true, we have this glorious future that's ahead of us. We don't have to worry about just dying. We, would, we are going to be given these new bodies And when we're given these new bodies, this belief of the resurrection is is coming from this belief that our creator created us and he can recreate us. So you see why this idea of the resurrection was threatening to the Sadducees, because if God is going to recreate, if he's going to resurrect the dead, the people who don't fear death are going to do some pretty risky and dangerous things. And when people do risky and dangerous things, people who are in power and are wealthy and are influential, they want to keep it that way. They don't want things to change, and they don't want the potential for things to change. So this idea of them just kind of dying to themselves and willing to sacrifice themselves for an ideology is a dangerous thought for the Sadducees because they want to remain in power. They want to have things remain the way that they are. They don't want to give up the influence. They don't want to give up their riches. And so they think that their theology and their doctrine is is right. And who could challenge them because they did have the most money, they did have the best education that money could buy, but their motives weren't entirely pure because part of their theology and part of their doctrine doctrine was simply just so that they can keep this political power, social power, religious influence. Now, this decline of theirs was already underway. It started in the second century BC, but it just kept on weakening and only... The wealthy people really only just followed the Sadducees. The populace started gaining this traction towards the idea of what the Pharisees represented. And so they started moving towards the Pharisees as their religious leaders. The Jewish historian Josephus records this for us in the Antiquities of the Jews in book number 8, chapter 10, point number 10. You can read it for yourself, but here's the quote that he, he wrote down. While the Sadducees are able to persuade none but the rich and have none, <clears throat> have not the populace obsequious to them, but the Pharisees have the multitude on their side. So the historian Josephus records for us that the Sadducees had already started beginning to lose their power. Now the Sadducees, they debated for this Torah conservatism. That's what they wanted to keep. The Pharisees were, were pushing forward this Liberalism regarding the doctrine of the resurrection, and so here 's the background that is for us for the Sadducees the Pharisees, before we enter into our text, verse eighteen and Sadducees came to him who say that there is no resurrection. now this belief in the resurrection was one of the distinctives between the Sadducees and the Pharisees, and and based off of this unbelief is where this question. Uh, they, is coming from that they have for Jesus. And this question wasn't to gain understanding. They're asking this because they, they, they're, they're assuming that the resurrection is not true, and so they're laying down this argument as to why that is by this hypothetical situation. And so this question was to prove Jesus wrong. This wasn't to understand doctrine. This wasn't to understand theology. This was just simply to try to make Jesus look foolish, now the scriptures the Sadducees really focused on was within the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. They believed that the later books of the, the Old Testament outside of the Pentateuch, they, they weren't as authoritative as the Torah. And they didn't see the resurrection as this idea that was... Presented or represented in the Pentateuch. So they they really prided themselves in knowing these first five books of the Bible Really 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 well. And so this was their question to challenge Jesus. This was where it came from Now just because people are scholars of the Bible does not mean that they are great practitioners of the Bible And here's an example of this, and carrying on in verse 18. And they asked him a question, saying, Teacher, Moses wrote for us that if a man's brother dies and leaves a wife, but leaves no child, the man must take the widow and raise up offspring for his brother. There were seven brothers. The first took a wife, and when he died, left no offspring. Then the second took her and died, leaving no offspring. And the third likewise, and the seven left no offspring. Last of all, the woman also died in the resurrection, when they rise again, this is very sarcastic here. Whose wife shall she be? For the seven had her as a wife. Now, this question that they get is coming from a couple places. One of them is Genesis chapter 38, 8. The other one's in Deuteronomy chapter 25. I'll just read for you Genesis chapter 38, 8. It reads, Then Judah said to Onan, Go into your brother's wife and perform the duty of a brother in law to her and raise up offspring for your brother. And then there's also Deuteronomy 25, verses 5 through 10. This is laws about widows being part of a brother's family and here it is starting in verse 5. If brothers dwell together and one of them dies and has no son, the wife of the dead man shall not be married outside the family to a stranger. Her husband's brother shall go into her and take her as his wife and perform the duty of a husband's brother to her. And the first son whom she bears shall succeed to the name of his dead brother that his name may not be blotted out of Israel. This is all about carrying through a dead brother's name and his legacy and his inheritance. This is what this is all about. Verse 7, And if the man does not wish to take his brother's wife, then his brother's wife shall go up to the gate to the elders and say, My husband's brother refuses to perpetuate his brother's name in Israel. He will not perform the duty of a husband's brother to me. Then the elders of his city shall call him and speak to him. And if he persists saying, I do not wish to take her, then his brother's wife shall go up to him in the presence of the elders and pull his sandal off his foot and spit in his face. And she shall answer and say, So shall it be done to the man who does not build up his brother's house. And the name of his house shall be called in Israel, the house of him who had his sandal pulled off. (laughs) So, when you travel in Israel and you find this Airbnb and there's a placard across the house that reads, The house of him who had his sandal pulled off, you know what happened in that family, right? You just know. It's uh, quite the family drama. It's, It's... It's what happened in the story of Ruth. You recall in in the book of Ruth, right? We studied that book a a, a while back, and what was happening there in Ruth chapter 4 was following Genesis 38, Deuteronomy 25. This is what they were doing. In Ruth chapter 4, we have this guy Boaz there, and he, he goes up to the gate to talk to the Redeemer and the elders of the city. And so Boaz brought... Uh, brought up to the unnamed redeemer we don't know his name that he was the one to redeem the land and the name of Elimelech which included acquiring Ruth to perpetuate the name of the dead in that inheritance and so the rightful redeemer didn't want it and his sandal was drawn off and given to the other and so they followed this law in Deuteronomy 25 and this is where the Sadducees draw their question for Jesus. Now, picking up in verse 23 of our text, Mark 12. In the resurrection, when they rise again, whose wife shall she be? Very, very sarcastic question they're asking Jesus. For the seven had her as a wife. Lucky, lucky woman. So this hypothetical question derived from Genesis 38, Deuteronomy 25, was asked to disprove the resurrection, which they did not believe in. And their argument was that there couldn't possibly be a resurrection because how would all of this play out if there was one? Whose wife out of the seven brothers would she be? All of them? Like that's silly, right? They believed that that was just absurd that this scenario just disproved the resurrection this cannot happen and so the sadducees they use this form of argument and logic known as reduction to absurdity and any of you who have taken a logic class have studied this and you've probably learned it under the Latin term, reductio ad absurdum, and it's a form of argument dating back to the classical Greek philosophy, dating back to Aristotle, and it is used to either disprove a statement by presenting an inevitable end, an inevitable inevitably leads to this absurd, crazy conclusion, or it's used to prove by presenting that if it were not true, the result would be crazy, absurd, impossible. So the Sadducees, they rip off this page off of Aristotle's prior analytics, and they attempt to form this logic, and then Jesus responds. Verse 24, Jesus said to them, Is this not the reason you are wrong? Because you know neither the Scriptures nor the power of God. Right? Like Jesus is just pointing it out. You're you're wrong because you don't know the Bible and you don't know the power of God. For when they rise from the dead, they neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are like angels in heaven. And as for the dead being raised, have you not read in the book of Moses in the passage about the bush how God spoke to him saying, I am the God of Abraham and the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob. He is not a God of the dead, but of the living. You are quite wrong. The Sadducees question the validity of the resurrection, and Jesus pointed out that they didn't know the scriptures nor the power of God, and that was just kind of like a, a pretty low blow. That was a below-the-belt blow for Sadducees, because it's, it's quite a reproach, especially to religious people like them. This was a group where high priests and elders and priestly and lay nobility Came from. This was the religious aristocracy who were very thorough in the studies of these first five books. They knew these first five books of the Bible better than anyone. But yet here Jesus tells them, you don't know the scriptures and you don't know the power of God. Because if they really did know the scriptures, if they really did know the power of God, they wouldn't ask this question. And then Jesus took it a step further and asked them if they've even read in the book of Moses, which they claim they are experts on, which which they are experts on the Pentateuch and how God spoke to Moses, of course they've read this before. They probably memorize these words word for word. They know these things. And he's telling them, you know, God spoke to Moses, telling Moses that he is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And of course they read that. And he says, he's not the God of the dead, but he's the God of the living. And you don't have a God of the living if Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob weren't resurrected. He'd be God of the dead. Now look at verse 25 in what Jesus said about the resurrection. For when they rise from the dead, it's not if they rise, it's when they rise. The resurrection is a foundational piece of our theology in our Christian faith. Our Christian faith in Jesus rests on the resurrection because if he did not rise from the dead as he claimed, we worship a dead God, not a living one. When we are resurrected, our lives will not be the same when we were here on earth. It's more than just being physically resuscitated. We will have transformed bodies. We will be like the angels who neither marry nor are given in marriage, according to verse 25. But we won't be angels. We will be like them when it comes to this marriage covenant, this marriage relationship, but we will have these new embodied lives. And unlike angels who are disembodied, we will be re-embodied. Now, why did Jesus bring up angels to the Sadducees? Because the Sadducees didn't believe in angels either. And so he's kind of like, sneaking this in here, right? You don't believe in resurrection, and you don't believe in angels? Let me put this in here. And so they don't believe in either of those things. And uh, as a pastor of mine growing up was teaching me the distinctions between Sadducees and Pharisees, he said, the way you can tell, he was trying to be all cute and stuff, but it's, it's stuck with me. He says, the way you can tell the difference is that The Sadducees didn't believe in the resurrection and angels, so it's sad, you see. (laughs) But it it stuck, so maybe it will stick for you if anyone ever asks. What's the difference between the Sadducees and the Pharisees? Well, let me tell you. In Acts 23, verse 8, reads, For the Sadducees say that there is no resurrection, nor angel, nor spirit. Sad, you see. But the Pharisees acknowledged them all, so Jesus pointed out these holes in their theology. There is a resurrection; otherwise, what's the use of having a God for the dead in Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob? And there are angels, which is the explanation to their marriage question about whose wife this woman will be when she's had seven husbands. And the answer, if if she won't be, the answer is she won't be the wife of any of them. There's no marriage in heaven. Now, for those of you who are thinking, amen, no marriage in heaven, wow, I've been wondering how am I going to get out of this and, you know, uh, you you need to make a marital counseling appointment um, with with me or Pastor Steve or Grace, our family ministries director, just off to the side, you don't have to make a big deal out of it, but we need to talk. Like, if you're thinking this, okay, so anyway. But this does bring up an issue about divorce or people who have been widowed. Who's married to whom in heaven if there have been multiple marriages? And according to verse 25, it's not even an issue because there isn't marriage in heaven. We'll we'll be like angels in heaven. Not that we will become angels, but we'll be like angels in regards to marriage. Now, for some of us, this sounds like a total bummer also, right? The other end of it, like, this sounds like a really big bummer. Like, I, I love my wife. I even like her, because some people say, like, I love her, but I don't like her. I even like her. I like my wife, too. She's, she's my best friend. I love spending time with her. There isn't anyone in the world I'd rather be with. I'd like to be with her forever. I don't know if she feels the same way about me, but I, I, I like her. I want to be with her. I adore her. And why, why would God not have the con- covenant relationship continue into everlasting if he's the one who created marriage. Marriage is temporary in our earthly sense. It's a temporary thing. It's, it's until death do you part from one another, and then it's the resurrection. Right? I, just, I just officiated a wedding yesterday, and, and we, we did these vows, and it was until death do they part. And here's something about marriage that that does carry into everlasting, though. It serves as this foretaste of what life in heaven will be like. So just as Sabbath serves as a foretaste to what peace and rest will be like. And just like our singing together during a Sunday service serves as a foretaste to what worship in heaven will be like. Marriage serves as a foretaste to the depth and the love and the intimacy that we will experience in heaven. Meaningful relationships, they won't be removed in heaven. They will just be better than we can ever imagine in heaven. They will be improved beyond our imagination in heaven. So our relationship with God and with each other, they will just be more meaningful, more loving, more understanding, and the kingdom of heaven will transform us and how we relate to one another and how we will know one another. King David looked forward to meeting his baby that died at childbirth. He looked forward to that. And they will know each other in heaven. We, we know that death is not this permanent separation. For those who believe in Jesus Christ, death is a temporary separation before this sweet reuniting with loved ones. We will know more than we know now, including loved ones we didn't get enough time with on earth. We'll know more. And every good thing we've experienced here on earth will just be better in the kingdom of heaven. Now the really important relationships with other faithful followers of Jesus Christ, whether it be a spouse, child, parent, friends, they will all be better than we've ever experienced here in our earthly kingdoms. We will experience fellowship, friendship, love, intimacy, care, more and more deeply than we've ever experienced in our entire life here. And so the Sadducees also didn't believe that there was a spirit. So no resurrection, no angels, no spirit. And this is what Paul wrote while referring to Isaiah chapter 64, starting in verse 4. But he wrote this in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, starting in verse 9, but he's referring back to Isaiah 64. What no eye has seen nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those who love him, that's the quotations of Isaiah 64, 4, or a paraphrase of it, these things God has revealed to us through the Spirit. For the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. For who knows a person's thoughts except the spirit of that person which is in him? So also no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the spirit of God. Now we have received not the spirit of God, but the spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given us by God. And we impart this in words not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the Spirit, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him, and he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. The Sadducees thought their theology was just solid, but Jesus showed them, you know, it's it's pretty porous. There's there's a bunch of holes in your theology. And they, they didn't believe in the resurrection, angels, or spirit, and they were wrong about all of those things. We know that theology is so important that it can lead us into a deeper understanding of God or it can lead us into a wrong understanding of God and lead us further away from God even when we think that we are getting to know God even better. We can be fooled by this. Many have been fooled, to think this, And the Sadducees were, and Jesus told them they were quite wrong. The Sadducees believed that the Pentateuch was inspired by God, and Jesus met them there. See, Jesus didn't go to some other book of the Old Testament. He says, well, if you believe in this, then okay, let's talk about that. And so he met them where they were at, and he used the book of Moses to get through to these guys, according to verse 26. And this serves as a reminder to us when we meet people that we're sharing our faith with, that we're sharing Jesus with, that we're sharing the gospel with. You know, when we're sharing with our Muslim friends about Jesus and the gospel, there are some things that we need to realize. We realize that they do believe that Jesus was a prophet and that, they, that Jesus was given a special message They do believe that Jesus was born of the Virgin Mary. Now, they don't believe that Jesus is divine, but they do believe that he performed miracles. They believe Jesus will return on the day of judgment. They believe that. They believe in the Torah, the first five books of the Old Testament, in the instances that they don't contradict the Quran. And so we can be like Jesus in having these discussions and referring back to the things that they do believe. It will point to Jesus. Now Jesus directed the Sadducees to the Torah to Exodus chapter 3 in Mark chapter 12 verse 26. So let's pick that up. The story in Exodus chapter 3 starting in verse 1. Says now Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian, and he led his flock to the west side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God, and the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush so he's pointing these things out for multiple reasons. One of them is there's an angel there. He looked and behold the bush was burning yet it was not consumed and Moses said I will turn aside to see this great sight why the bush is not burned. When the Lord saw that he turned aside to see God called him out of the bush Moses, Moses and he said here I am then he said do not come near take your sandals off your feet for the place on which you are standing is holy ground and he said I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob and Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. And so this is why Jesus says, you don't know the scriptures. Because obviously there is a thing that says there's angels of the Lord there. And obviously there's, uh, he's alive. That there is a resurrection. That he's the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And so this was the scripture that Jesus used in Mark chapter 12, verse 26, when speaking to the Sadducees about the resurrection. Jesus said in verse 27, He is not God of the dead. He is the God but of the living. You are quite wrong. Wrong speaking of the resurrection. Wrong in speaking of the theology that they are holding. Now many generations have passed between Mark chapter 12 and Moses. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob were even further down that genealogy. But Jesus pointed out that God spoke to Moses in that present tense when regarding Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And Jesus was pointing out that God was the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob when they walked the earth, just as he is still the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob after their death, but he's not God of their decomposed bodies that have since turned to dust. They are in the presence of God as living beings. They just haven't received this new embodiment in in themselves. So what good are the eternal promises and purposes of God that he made to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob if they only lasted just this short lifetime that they had on earth? How powerful is God if he could create everything out of nothing, but then he is restricted by time and death? And so the Sadducees knew where Jesus was going with this accusation, that they didn't know the scriptures nor the power of God from verse 24 because Jesus showed them that they didn't. And the way they thought, they they didn't know the scriptures and they limited the power of God. See, the hope we have in God is a timeless hope. And if people only knew the scriptures and the power of God, they wouldn't be so skeptical toward God. And that's a major problem in our culture, in our society, in our world, that people don't know the scriptures and they don't know the power of God. How many of us are like the Sadducees in that we're pretty arrogant about our theology? You know, we we think that we know all these things. And, and we're really, really dogmatic about them and things like that. I'll bring one subject matter up. Let's just talk about eschatology. Right? We have people that just think that they know everything about the end times and every sequence and when all these things are going to happen and all that kind of stuff. Did you know that people have been wrong for thousands of years about this? And then all of a sudden you know it? Like, I'm glad I know you. Like, you're brilliant. Right? It's just, will Jesus say to us, you are quite wrong? You're quite wrong. I, mean, I, I think we need to embrace the humility about these things and, and present this is what we think, but I don't know that for a fact, in terms of the minors, like eschatology is a minor. Regarding the divinity of Christ, no. We know that regarding the resurrection no we know that that is a major that is a non-negotiable that is a closed-handed issue but in terms of things like an eschatology the study of end times or church polity you know when people are saying like oh no it needs to be pastor-led no it needs to be elder-led no it needs to be congregationally led i have news for you they're all sinners and they've all been wrong and you can point to all these situations where churches have messed up no matter what the governance is so it's an open-handed issue So do we really know the power of God? Do we really know the scriptures? Or will Jesus say to us, you know, you are quite wrong. You're wrong about these things. Now resurrection is the reversal of death, not simply just a resuscitation of life, but a transformed life. It is God gifting us a new body to enjoy life in a new world. God's Creation is good, and what has contaminated it is sin. So God recreating will be absent of that contaminant, and will be able to live in it free of that evil, free from that darkness, free from that decay that was a point Jesus was making across to those Sadducees. You're missing this because you're disregarding the power of God entirely for the Creator to be able to recreate. You are disregarding the Scriptures because they do show this in Exodus. And you're supposedly the experts in knowing these first five books of the Bible, but you are missing this. And you're missing the Spirit. May we know that those are majors, that we embrace those things that resurrection, angels, spirit. Those are things that Jesus is saying, yeah, you're, you're wrong about that theology, and that's something that we need to embrace. And then not be so prideful or arrogant to hold on to things that we think are the right theology to hold on to when it's a minor issue, it's an open-handed issue, and where Jesus can just point out, you're quite wrong about this. Let's pray. God, we're thankful for your word and for correction, and we ask, God, that you would show us where we are holding on too tightly to things that aren't the right theology. I pray, God, that we would be shaped by your theology um, on, in how to live our lives. We see how Jesus who we are to be imitators of, lived his life out with the proper theology, that he was so good at loving those who are marginalized and sinful people because he came to heal the sick. And so we ask, God, that you would impart to us a humility of Christ, the love of Christ, in Jesus' name, amen.